Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. If you're new here, uh, just hang out. You'll get the hang of it. Blues freaks. This is your day, maybe. Buddy Guy is on the show today. Yeah, I talked to Buddy Guy. And I'll talk to you about talking to Buddy Guy and why it was important to me to talk to Buddy Guy and the blues in general, maybe some other stuff. But before I get into anything, I should tell you that this show was pre-recorded more than usual, longer back than usual. I'm recording this, it doesn't matter the day, but it's a few days ago from when you're listening to this. And the only reason I say that is because a couple of reasons. Well, it had to be done. Because my producer, Brendan, is going to be on vacation this week, and I have a few days off this week, and we decided why not to be free of this for a week. I'm not going anywhere. I was just in Texas, and again, I want to thank the people of Dallas, Houston, and Austin, Texas, for really being tremendous audiences, and, and all the people that worked at the venues, the venues were great, the Paramount in Austin, the Majestic in Dallas, and uh, the I think it's the Cullen over at the uh, Wortham Center in Houston. Really, I mean, we just it was just like a perfect few days. Really was. So hopefully, here here's why I tell you that this is recorded a few days in advance. Because if something major happens in the world that might require me addressing it, it will not be heard about here because this was recorded before it happened. So hopefully nothing horrible has happened. On the outside chance something amazing happened, I'm very excited about it, even though I don't know what it is. Also, what I'm hoping for is that uh, with this week I got at home to reassess, to reconfigure, to recontextualize, uh, to reclaim my my being. Hopefully, when when you hear from me Monday, I will have uh, gotten off nicotine lozenges. Why? Why are you asking? Why are you asking why, Mark? Why, why, Mark? Why would you get off them? I guess that some of you would think, like, why? Well, of course you should get off them. It can't be good. That's a good reason. I'm just saturated. I am a uh, nicotine sponge. I just, the kind of the arc of having the compulsion to do things that feel good without stopping has gotten me into a sort of a steady, slightly nauseous state. And I went to have a physical physical was okay 
Um, some things were okay. Some things were, I'm not sure what that is. So I figure why not clear this, just clean the slate. Let's get down to, to, to ground zero of Mark's biology. Can we do that? I don't know what that entails really. Obviously I have to eat, but I'm going to eat clean. I'm thinking about maybe no protein powders. I'm thinking about maybe no caffeine, definitely no nicotine and just, you know, basic shit, clean, no, not many carbs. This is, it might be boring to you, but I got to, I got to see what's up. I'm just curious because, you know, you spend all this time being healthy and then it's sort of like, I feel like I should be healthier than that on the page. And then you realize I'm getting old. How, how much longer do I have? And what am I really aspiring to? I don't know. But hopefully when you when, when you come back here or after the weekend, I will have gotten off of them. I, I can't guarantee it. See, I'm already, I'm already, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be off them tomorrow and I'm already like finding that space. I don't know, maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll kick. Tomorrow I'll kick. Buddy guy's here. Buddy guy. Look, man. Yeah, the world is burning. And sometimes it's hard to know what to do. And I don't know if the blues make you feel better. I don't know what they do, but they sort of, either you've got the heart for them or you don't. Blues music. Now, I got to be honest with you. I don't listen to a lot of new blues. I don't listen to a lot of, uh, you know, I don't listen to a lot of blues made after maybe, I don't know. There's a few guitar players I've listened to, but not compulsively like I listen to some of the old guys. And I don't know why, I, I, I don't know why I've got the heart for it. I love to play blues guitar. I love it. It makes me feel better than almost anything. I should do it more. I love it more than I like listening to blues music, to be honest with you, at this point in my life. Because to get into the real blues, into the deep blues, before the before the sort of like, what would you call them? Uh, uh, the, the noodling appropriators. You know, to get into the earlier evolution of them, you know, a couple, maybe a generation from it removed or a generation past the source point of Africa, generation or two, you know, to really get that groove. But I, I got hip to it when I was a little kid for some reason. You know, I was played that music by a guitar teacher. I had that Robert Johnson record, the crackly one. But there was a couple of people like Muddy Waters, you know, specifically, and I, you know, the another way in oddly was uh, some of the early Stone stuff, and then I got hip to uh, some chess recordings, Sonny Boy Williamson, J.B. Lenore. You know, I had some Lightning records, I had the Muddy records, I had uh, Mississippi John Hurt record when I was a kid, and you know, and it just never went away. My my hunger for hearing some of the older guys, you know, like Skip James. You know, his sound, the way he played those notes, everyone played those notes so different. And so many of them were the same notes. It fucking, 
It didn't fascinate me. It moved me. You know, the, the falsetto blue sound of Robert Johnson or, or Skip, you know, just like it kind of just went in and it moves me. It, it taps me into some sort of universal frequency that is elevating. It's both melancholic and celebratory. And then like, I, you know, as I got older, you know, I, I listened to, uh, I was re- in high school, I was real into uh, Stevie Ray's brother, Jimmy, and the fabulous Thunderbirds. I got into that fast moving shit, that Texas jump blues, did a little Johnny Winter at certain points, early Eric Clapton. Yeah, and this is all always unfolding. When I was in college, I saw uh, Big Mama Thornton towards the end of her life. I saw Willie Dixon towards the end of his life. I saw John Hammond Jr. at the Tucson Blues Society with about 40 other people completely channel Robert Johnson into Hellhounds on My Trail, and it just blew me away. Then I got into other people doing those Johnson songs, like the Stones, like Love in Vain, even the Gun Club with Preaching the Blues. I just kind of tracked it. I don't really love bar blues. I liked Can Heat. That guy, I think his name's Dave Wilson, was a real channeler. There were certain channels. You know, some of the white dudes that dug that shit and got into it and found their own voice in it. I was moved by them. Buddy Guy's early stuff. To hear Buddy Guy kind of, you know, find a place on his guitar that no one had found before. You know, know, there's a lot of cats that found it. Albert King, Freddie King, B.B. King, John Lee Hooker, Lightning Hopkins. Get into that groove. Listen to that fucking Hooker and Heat album. Canned Heat and John Lee Hooker. That's some crazy shit. Yeah, that's where it meets up. Listen to those Peter Green records. Peter Green, that Chicago record that he did with Fleetwood Mac back in Otis Spann and a couple other cats. I don't know. Paul Butterfield's first record. What, what am I, going to just list records? But there was a Chicago thing, Muddy. Muddy kind of, oh, Muddy and Wolf. Get those Wolf records. Fuck, man. But Buddy Guy always had a sound that you could identify. You know, I could hear it when he was playing backup with other people. Just the way he handled it. Got that Stratocaster going. I pulled mine out when, after I talked to Buddy. Albert Collins, another guy, not Telecaster, man, searing. I'm not going to sit here and list them. It's just, if the shit goes into you and moves you, you got the thing. And this conversation might be fun for some of you if you have the thing. I didn't know where it was going to go, and Buddy's been talking a long time, and he's been around a long time, but there's a couple of nuggets in this conversation about certain people, little moments with B.B. King, John Lee Hooker, uh, Earl Hooker, the slide guitar player who I didn't know about that were really exciting for me. It was exciting for me to meet him. And I saw him at the Hollywood Bowl uh, the night that I talked to him with uh, Charlie Musselwhite, who I've talked to in here, real deal. Jimmy Vaughn and his band and Buddy. And they got to play. They got to play. They can't stop playing. Buddy's 83 years old. And he can still fucking, he's got a thing, man. It's the weirdest thing you know, when you play guitar, but it's, it's not a matter of being able to do anything fast or being able to do it like anybody else. You know, you got these, you got these licks, you're going to make them your own. You're going to, you know, stack them. You're going to turn them inside out. But buddy, I just owned them. These are the same notes, a lot of them, but how are you going to bend them? How are you going to, 
How are you going to pull them? How are you going to let them sustain and sing? I don't know, man. There's a lot of personality to a lot of the great players. And Hubert Sumlin, who played for Wolf. But anyway, it was a great privilege to talk to Buddy, and I'm glad he came by because the music does speak to me, and I like to play it, and I like to hear stories about the old days. So this is me talking to Buddy Guy. He's currently on tour around the country, and you can see all his tour dates at BuddyGuy.net. His most recent album is The Blues is Alive and Well, one of many, many records. And uh, he's 83, man, and he just jumped up these stairs and sat down and we started talking. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades, or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. I, uh, I, I kind of felt bad because, you know, I, I do uh, comedy and stuff myself. Mm-hmm. And after shows, people come up to me and they want to get their pictures taken. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, I've never done it to anybody before, and I was on a plane with you, and you didn't, you wouldn't have known. And uh, you know, I saw you, and I'm like, yeah, he's on my plane. I saw you taking off, and one of your guys actually, I think, knows my show. I don't remember which guy, but he gave me a polka dot pick. But, uh, I, you know, and I get off the plane, I'm a baggage claim. I say, if I don't go get a picture with that guy, I'm, I'm <laughs> going to be mad at myself. <laughs> well, that would have been easy because that was my guitar tech because he's the one who got the pics. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I ran up to you, you know, and I got, and I, and I said, can I, I'm so, I said what everyone says. Hey, hey, man, I don't want to, I don't usually do this. You know, I don't yeah, want to be an yeah. asshole, but. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't, you know, you know, you know, I don't got used to that now and it made it even. <laughs> you know, you said to have a, 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 a just a camera. Now yeah. that everybody who got a phone got a camera in it, you know. Yeah. And and I tell people and I have people laughing. I say every time I see somebody with a cell phone, I just I just say cheese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, you know, there's that moment where you do it after shows, and, oh, then yeah. you, and you're tired, and maybe you're not looking. Like I I, I always say that they, there's about a hundred people that got pictures of me looking tired with them. <laughs> oh, oh man, I know. <laughs> you know, I can give you a funny one. A lady yeah. came into my club in Chicago, and I took about a hundred and something, and she and I had my son standing beside me, and yeah. I made him print out a, uh, a, a a a piece of paper on it, say no more no more photograph. Mm-hmm. And she came up, she said, I'm from Australia, will you please take a picture with me? I say, well, okay. <laughs> and I let her take it. 
And she went away, and about 20 minutes later, she came back. She said, could I please have another one? I said, if you only tell me what happened to the first one. She said, well, it made me look too fat. I said, what you think the camera saw? <laughs> <laughs> that was it. You didn't do another one? <laughs> you did. Yeah, yeah, I did it for them, man. You know, cause they, they got their way of, of, yeah. of, of, of figuring out how to get around whatever you're yeah. trying to get out of. You know? Oh, yeah, they come back. Or they don't know how to use the phone, or it takes no, five minutes. No, I know. Sometimes it takes longer than that. Yeah. And you're just standing there waiting, holding a stranger. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, wait, are you? Uh, where are you playing? You playing tonight? No, tomorrow night. Where at? At the Hollywood Bowl. Oh man, that's mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah, you know, finally, you know, uh, better late than never. You know, I used first to time. No, no, no. no. I, uh, I've been. You know, I, I guess if you can, uh, on promoters, if you can, uh, I guess break even, let them make, let them make a little something, they'll call you back again. Because, I, because I passed there many times in my my earlier younger days with the late Junior Wells, and I'd look at it and say, I'll never make it there. You yeah. Know? And all of a sudden, you go to sleep, you wake up, and you. I got eight Grammys. I've, I've been there before. I made the eight Grammys, and yeah. they, they invited me back because I remember once I was there with Bill Cosby, and uh, I don't forgot who was on the show with me. And he said, man, you know you know, you got to follow Buddy Guy? <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, yeah, No, no, I don't look at it like that. I look at it like that. We're all entertainers, and uh, we just, you know, we've been, I, I try to be friends with everybody, not just entertainers. Yeah. And it's fun to me to be on the show with some other people because I didn't learn how to play my guitar or sing by the book. I learned it by listening to those guys who should have gotten more recognition than I got, and they didn't live long enough to get it, like the Muddy Waters, the Howling Wolves. I could go on till yeah, I mean, next week. I uh, I saw you. I, I actually saw you do the second show at a place in Cambridge, Massachusetts, maybe early 80s with Junior. Yes, yeah, and yes. it was it was crazy, you know, because I remember there was one part of your show where you could play like other people. Like oh yeah, you, yeah, you, I still do that. You do, yeah. You want to yes. hear Jimi Hendrix, and you just oh, yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, the, the way music is is now, it's uh, and thanks for having me. By the way, a lot of radio stations just don't play uh, the type of blues that was is the father of most music we have today. And uh, we used to talk about that before Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, the late B.B. King was always uh, said, hey, man, if you outlive me, please don't let the blues die. Because that once was a music they call uh, R&B. We yeah. didn't have all the names we right. have now, you know, like a soul and mm-hmm. rock and roll and all that stuff. Everything in the, in the earlier days would... Uh, the Lewis Jordan, yep. the early Ray Charles, the uh, it was just R and B, yeah, you know. And now I don't know what it is, you know. They got us separated so much now. Tell you say you come up and some of the British guys, my best friends, yeah, and they would say we're playing the same thing, you know. You all play. My youngest daughter's in the hip hop. She came to me one day and said, Daddy. We're just playing the old music. We're doing it a different way. Same know? groove. Same groove. Yeah. yeah. I was listening. I, I, I kind of you know went through all my stuff, uh, the records I have of yours, and I was listening to later because I was so happy when I got a, an original copy of uh, Hoodoo Man Blues. Oh, man. Yeah. Man Junior. Yeah. Yeah. And I got I got that one, and then I had uh, I had one called Walking in the Woods, but that was a compilation. Walking Through the Woods. Walking yeah. Through the Woods. That was one of, some of my first stuff when I went into Chicago. Yeah. 
a uh, great pianist player named Little Brother Montgomery. Yeah. I mean, the late Willie Dixon. They gave me that as soon as I got a chance to come into Chess Records. Well, now, so you started, where'd you start? I uh, I was born in Louisiana on a yeah. farm. I tell people each night from, from the stage, you know, I didn't know what running water was until I was about 17 years old. Really? Yeah, my parents were sharecroppers, and uh, I look at people right now, and when I say that from the stage, I can get a standing ovation. I say, uh, you know, if I went home in the evening when I was 10, 11 years old, I couldn't tell my mom and dad to go get me a piece of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh, I'd have to go catch the chicken. <laughs> and my mom had to cook that chicken, yeah. man. You know, oh, yeah. How old were you when you started playing the guitar? Well, my dad finally, you know, they weren't able to pay, to pay for a guitar. Yeah. An average acoustic guitar back then was 298 or 390, not hundreds. Yeah. 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 And they had a guy they used to go get every Christmas and he would come through the house and they would have to go from house to house and drink the gallon of wine and a quarter beer and no more until next Christmas and he had to get down and the rest of the kids would go and have toys if they could afford to get one. Yeah. But I would I would go pick his guitar. Yeah. Yeah. And my dad finally uh what do you call he was uh, a crosscut saw, if you know what that yeah, is. The Apple yeah, King made yeah. a record about that, and he finally bought this guitar for two dollars. You remember what kind it was or what it was? It just it was just a little acoustic guitar with a round hole in it. I don't even know if the name of it. Nylon right. strings? No, it had the regular oh, yeah? strings on it. But yeah. after I broke the, the a matter of fact, it had about three strings on it when he got it. Yeah. And then I had to take my mom's, uh, uh, what you call it, hair pins and yeah. things like that and splash it because I couldn't afford to buy other guitar uh, strings. So did you have music in the family? What were you listening to? It, yeah. well, well, back then, it, yeah. was, it wasn't uh, before B.B. King and T-Bone and them, uh, Arthur Crudup and all of them. It was all gospel. Yeah. It was voices. So you, you know? see it once a week or you go here? No, to you couldn't see nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, at the church or anywhere? It was, it was the church, but yeah. we didn't have no instruments in the right. church. It was all voices. Yeah. You know, you and finally when the the, the five blind boys and uh, the pilgrim travelers and people like that and uh, ran the record shop started coming out when we finally got that old battery radio after the rain yeah. and cloudy you couldn't hear nothing nowhere once in a while you and then you could hear <laughs> Lou Ross or somebody singing yeah, like right. the, uh, uh, the five blind boys yeah and, and then you would try to get the guitar to back you up with that uh, voice is yeah. what you heard. And then out pops B.B. King and T-Bow on them and then say, oh, oh, man, you know, you got something now. And when they amplified the guitar, that was it. T-Bone, it's like it's all T-Bone, isn't it? Yes. Because, <laughs> yeah, B.B. just uh, made his little, uh, uh, they, they asked him questions about who he was listening to, and I was listening to mostly him. To B.B.? Yeah, yeah, well, I got a chance to hear uh, Arthur Crudup, him, Lightning Hopkins, yeah. and people like that, because Lightning was there, you know, playing mostly acoustic stuff himself before B.B. and uh, Les Paul amplified the guitars, yeah. because the guitar and a harmonica was obsolete before Little Walter made Juke with Muddy and uh, with the chess record. They would, you go in the mu music store and say, how much is the harmonica, you say? I don't know, man. Just give me anything to get it out the way, man. <laughs> Until they amplified it, right? And you right. Play, did you play on Juke? No, 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 no. I was still picking cotton when oh, Juke came. Really? <laughs> oh yeah. So, yeah. like, because when I listen to T Bone Walker, it's like you know all the licks are kind of in there, right? It's like oh, yeah. the Bible of licks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, I mean, BB would talk about it just for, uh, years before he passed away. He say, "Well, 
Jack O'Leonhardt or somebody like that. And then he said, when I heard this guy, T-Bone Walker, he said, just turn him around. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so oh, so they were a, a little older than you, so you're yeah. still listening. So by the time they electrified it and Chess was putting out records, you were you you were still in Louisiana. Still plowing the mule and picking cotton. Oh my God! Yeah. And then when did you like when did you start to you know taking it seriously? I mean, how what you know when did you get your electric guitar? A stranger bought me my first real acoustic, and uh-huh. it wasn't electric, but but you could go buy what they call a pickup. Right, and you could stick, stick it, it on, there. stick yeah. it on there yourself. So that was my first electric guitar I had, and then the first Stratocaster guy found out I could play a little. Which had uh, guitar slam had came out then with things I used to do, and yeah, and I learned how to play a little Jimmy Reed and stuff like that. And he yeah. said, "Well, you know, if you play in my band, I'll let you play my Strat." Yeah. So I played that until I got able to go into Baton Rouge and uh, work at a service station. Then I finally bought a Les Paul Gibson. So Les Paul was the first one. That I bought. That you bought. Uh-huh. But then you went back to Strats. After I got to Chicago, yeah. they, stripped, they ripped me off for the Les Paul. And <laughs> a lady had a club, and she had found out I could play pretty well. And she let uh, let me borrow the money if I would play at her place. That was my first Strat. Oh yeah, yeah. So you pretty you pretty much go between strats and these like three thirty fives. I know I, I I don't think I ever had a three thirty five, but I know Gibson was uh, offering me all those type of guitars because I you know I look at all guitars by the same. What made me fall in love with the strat? I first saw guitar slam, and I yeah. didn't know what the hell that was. Yeah, and uh, I found out you could drop it. Yeah. And just scratch it, but if you could drop one of the hollow bodies, uh, you know, That's acoustic, and, uh, uh, even if it rained on it, it would swell up and break. And right. I said, this is a solid piece of wood. Yeah. Right. This is what I want. It can go, because Slim was wild and crazy. Yeah. And I, I made this comment on several interviews I had that I wanted to play like B.B. King, but I wanted to act like Guitar Slim. What, with the with the theatrics playing it with your teeth? doing? Oh, that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That, oh, you yeah. got that from Slim? He didn't, no, Slim didn't play with his teeth. He was just wild with it. I came up with some of these ideas that uh, I better do something because I would never, didn't ever think I was good enough to play as well as B.B. or T-Bone or Slim. So I said, I got to put a little something else in there and make somebody pay attention to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that about the strap because that's, that's true. When I just read this book about the creation of the the solid body, solid body, yeah. And Leo Fender, I mean, those the first tellies and the first strats, they were built to 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 take a beating, to take a beating, and, yeah. and they were built so anybody could fix them. Right. And it took it took years for Gibson to 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 not be so arrogant because they they didn't want to get into the electric guitar business because they thought they were pretty highfalutin. They had the best guitars, so they didn't know how to keep the quality. You know that they would yeah. with their with their acoustic instruments with the electric, and that's always why I, I always felt. Didn't you always feel like Gibsons were kind of the, the the fancy guitar? Oh yes, yeah. oh yes, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you I know, think I don't a deserve. lot of people like that. Yeah. Did you know that? Also, not change the conversation. When I that's first right. went to England, yeah, it was 1965 before most of those guys got so big and famous. Do you know from Jeff Beck to Eric Clapton to uh, Jimmy Page, they all came to me and say. I didn't know Strat could play blues. Yeah. They had, and when really? they said, no, and, then, and I got this in black and white why they said it. You know, I'm like saying, what do you mean, man? He, he said, I thought that that was a country and western guitar, man, and you couldn't play blues. But now, now we saw you, we all got Strat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you're working in a filling station. You're playing some gigs in Baton Rouge. Right. And then what, what makes you decide to, you know, to go to Chicago? Because you knew all those guys were there? 
Well, you know, you could see the the Lewis Jordan. Yeah. Uh, the Ray Charles, but until you got twenty one, you couldn't see them until they come play in one of those places that they didn't they didn't sell booze. Right. And I found out if you go to Chicago before you got twenty one years old, you wasn't gonna be able to get in the club to see them no way. Yeah. So as soon as I turned twenty one, which was July the thirtieth, nineteen fifty seven. September that year in 57, I headed to Chicago not to be a, a guitar player because I think I at that time I was saying you got a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. So someone told me, if you go to Chicago, now you can watch the Muddies, yeah. the Wolves, the Walters, and uh, the Sunny Boys and all those people, and maybe you'll learn something. And all of a sudden I got stranded, got there and got stranded, and somebody found out I could play a few licks of Jimmy Reed and and the guys who was playing behind Muddy and all those people like that, and then uh, they said, uh, you got to hear this youngster. He can play a little bit like this, that, but he's wild and crazy. And all the guitar players started coming to me, the late Wayne Bennett, Matt Murphy. And I'm like saying, what am I doing to make y'all want to listen to me? And I'm trying to find out what you all doing. I said, man, you kind of wild and people <laughs> like that, you know, because I would jump off the bar. with no big blues clubs. And I would just be walking down the bar, and everybody, most of the blues players back then were sitting in chairs. Mm. And oh, I said, really? Oh, yeah. Even yeah, with Mud- the electric guitar? Uh-huh. And Mud and all of them were sitting in chairs and playing. I said, well, I can get some attention because I'm going to jump around on the stage, <laughs> which I had saw Guitar Slim do that. Plus, I went there with a, you got the wireless now. They had a guitar, I saw Guitar Slim with this 100-foot lead wire from the guitar. Yeah. And the first time I saw him, they said, ladies and gentlemen, guitar slam. And all I saw, I met him right at the stage. And I didn't see no no guitar player, but I heard. Yeah. yeah and he was coming in the door. <laughs> he had a 100-foot wire? Yeah. <laughs> coming in the door with a red suit on, with a white hat. And I said, my God, what is that? <laughs> That's 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 what I'm gonna do. That's what that's what I'm gonna do. But, so, but like, uh, so you get there, and you before you get uh, you know known. So the, all these guys were just playing at different places, like Wolf and Junior and Muddy, just, and, just in a circle, because mm-hmm. you never they never did hardly come out and tour like we do today. And in right. the South, you would BB King when he came out, you would have Big Joe Turner, the Fire, a lot of doo wop groups. Oh, they tour on a bus. No, that, everything was in the station wagon then. You oh. couldn't. They wasn't making enough money to yeah. get a bus back because the bus was. <laughs> uh, I wish you could get the bus at that price today. <laughs> But everybody was going around in the station wagon, all pile up in the station wagon, because B.B. King uh, told me that he once played 365 days, oh, but he man. never did leave his house. So that wasn't a big, long tour. You right, know, you could right. play Regional. 10 days in Louisiana, 10 days in Mississippi, which was joining, yeah. 10 days in Arkansas, which was joining. So it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't a hard job as it is now. We play California. And as soon as I leave here, I got to be in. Uh, I think my next one is in Milwaukee. And you and you and you fly or you on the bus? Well, all over. I think mostly all over four or five I fly, but the bus I have to make it there, and you have to get you get the bus a chance to get there. So when, now, but I wasn't always able to do that. Sure. So when I first started coming here, I was driving cross country myself in a van with Delay Junior Wells, and I was the manager. I was. The, <laughs> the tour guide and everything, yeah. man. And still, sometimes we didn't make enough money to make it from one gig to nothing. But what kept me going, I'm thinking B.B. King and Mud and them was doing wonders. And they come to me and say, hey, man, you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah. You know, you know, 
B.B. King told me when I first met him, he said, sometime I just make enough money to make it from one gig to the other. And you, and, and, and what drives you is the, the love of the music? The love of music. Wasn't no such thing as love of money then. It's just, you know, right now, when I see people smiling when I'm playing, I say, oh, man, you know, if whatever problem you had, I made you forget it for five minutes anyway, you know. Because yeah. music have a tendency to do that, not just blues, all music. When you oh, see yeah. people smiling and clapping their hands, it's like, I say, if you had a problem, I made you, at least I made you forget it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the power of the thing. I, you know, I've always, uh, you know, when I play, I play blues. I listen to a lot of different kinds of music, but there's really nothing more satisfying than playing Oh man, you you know I, that's that's the joy of my life. <laughs> yeah, most, oh yeah. You're lucky then, because that's what you do. <laughs> well, I, you know, I try to tell young kids now. I got uh, two sons waiting very late. They first then went into the blues until they got 21 and saw me yeah. play. And one of my sons said, "Oh my God, I didn't know you could play like that." <laughs> Because I well I never well I never did go home and say yes what your daddy did yeah, you know yeah. I just let them make up their own mind yeah and as soon as they got twenty one years old they got old enough to come in the club that's when he said oh my god yeah <laughs> he saw the whole show oh yeah and your brother played too yeah yeah he passed away uh I'll be uh, eleven years on the twenties of this month yeah. Mm-hmm. You did a few records with him. Yeah, I, I played on a couple of his records. So when you get there and, and you're in Chicago, you know how how does it start to unfold? I guess like you know I you know I can tell you're playing in the back of anything. Like I was in a record store just recently, and they were playing some collection. I think it was like Coco Taylor was on. It was some sort of I made our first big record. Yeah, with it was Wang like a, Dang Doodle. Right, and it was yeah. a bunch of different artists on this one yeah. old record, and yeah. I'm like, "That's got to be Buddy Guy." Like, I yeah. could hear it. So, I mean, yeah. they must people must be able to identify it, and you can't, you know, that's just something that comes from your heart. So, like, you know, you're insecure about like I got to learn something, but other people are like, nobody plays like that guy. Well, you know, that's what they were telling me. But <laughs> you, do you know I didn't realize that? Yeah, of course. Until. Um, because he had the heroes. Claptons, well, the Claptons and the Beckham people come say, man, you know, I heard a lick, and I had to find out who played it. Yeah. And it was you. <laughs> I'm like saying, I didn't know I played that, man. You know, I just <laughs> yeah. Matter of fact, when they, when they would call me in for a session behind, behind the Howling Wolf, Mother, whoever I played, yeah. they would give you like 20 bucks just to make the record. Yeah. And I needed the twenty bucks. I wasn't even thinking about one day somebody gonna say that's Buddy Guy playing. Right. I'm like saying, give me my twenty bucks and I'll put it in there for you. you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, how did that? Like, how? What was it like with those guys? I mean, you, so you get to Chicago and you what you? It, it seems like you you made a few uh, singles. Yeah. First, they, they with, didn't give uh, me much opportunity to play on my own. They they knew I could play and they said which which I couldn't play. But the chess people had to made. I mean, the Mudders and Wolf Walters and Sonny Boy had made chess what they were. So well, what was were, Cobra Records? Well, that's, that went that phrase because the rich chess yeah, refused one, me. Right. And the yeah. first somebody who really helped me was the late Otis, Otis Rush, which passed away, uh, what, two, two years, not quite two years ago. Otis Rush. Otis Rush. Yeah. And, you, and he brought you in over there to that smaller label? Yes, he did. Him and the late Magic Sam. Oh, Magic Sam. Yeah. Oh, that that boogie riff that he does. Yeah, I'm, oh man. I'm trying. To, oh yeah. I'm trying yeah. to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> well, you know that 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 stuff he was doing was uh, Junior Parker uh, uh, out of Texas at first. You know, uh-huh. called uh, Feel Good. Right, Feel Good. And, yeah, yeah. uh huh. And then Sam, that Sam just could wear it out. You yeah. know. Because we used to play all day on Sunday, so from 7 o'clock in the morning and on Monday. Yeah. That's when we had all the jobs still here in America. The steel mill was 24-7, so in Chicago you had the steel mill and you had a stockyard there 24-7 with 100,000 people. Yeah. And when I went there, I'm like, what the world is this? People playing music at 7 o'clock in the morning and you couldn't get in the club. Oh, because that was the only day off? Well, the shift, if the shift got off at uh, a certain time in the morning, right, he right, don't yeah. go away he, at night. He's yeah. back at work. Oh, right. So his time was, let's go party now. Right. Because tonight I'll be working when they play in the clubs. And we used to have to play all day on Monday and then Monday night. Wow. And I wondered how, how, how could you stay up that long. And those guys, like Sonny Boy, Muddy Wolf and all of them was young and they were drinking. Yeah. I'm like saying... When do you guys get so drunk you can't play? Yeah. And they went all day and all night. Man, I've never seen one of them fall down yet. That's amazing. I, I don't know what's like. As a matter of fact, I used to ask them, was their bill out of iron? Yeah. <laughs> you never drank too much? No, they taught me how to drink because, you know, when I first went there, I was too shy to sing, and sometimes I feel like that right now. Yeah. But they they used to call the schoolboy Scotch. They said, yeah. man, if you turn, drank some of this, you 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 get out of that shyness. And uh, we, a drink don't cross my mind until I go to the stage. Then they have to give me a little sip or something to say, okay. Forget about if you play something bad. This yeah. little, little little drink of whiskey, a cognac, will make you forget about it and just yeah. do something else to make up for that mistake you and, made. Right, and it yeah. worked. Oh, so far it's doing pretty good. <laughs> but it never took over your life, which no, is good. No, 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 because I got it at my house now. You can come to my house, and my housekeeper don't dust my whiskey bottle, which people give it to me. It's got fingerprints on it. Yeah. I don't ever take a drink at home. Even when I was smoking, I never did smoke when I got to my house. Yeah. No. Yeah. And it's just because it, that that was the nighttime shit. Well, it was the the music thing, yeah. you know, and I was, I'm, I, I, right today as I speak to you, I'm still a little shy when I go come out on the stage because the public is one of the things that is hard to please all the time. Yeah. And sometimes people look at you and say, wait. Let me see what this lack. I heard about him, but then that's my that. Then when I get to sip, that's when I say, "I'm gonna see can I win you tonight." Yeah, <laughs> I'll show you. And sometimes I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So after you do the stuff at Cobra, so you're hanging around with those guys with uh, Otis and uh, and and Magic Sam. And the late Hal Barrage was just singers. Yeah. Betty Everett, she was just a singer. You yeah. Know? And uh, then after the Cobra guy died, that's when Chess came back and found Otis and sent Otis to my house. Yeah. And that's when he signed both of us. And what, what now, it, did, was Ike Turner there? No, the, the Cobra Records sent down to get Ike, because, you know, Ike had a lot to do with B.B. early success. Oh, he did? Oh, yeah. So? I didn't know. I, well, he was the one, uh, 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 B.B. told me this made some horn arrangements behind him in the early oh, days. Yeah. And then he, you know, that was before him and Tina Turner would be. Sure. He was just... In the house and playing, I heard Tina talking about that, uh, how good, 
I don't like him, but uh, I just like what he's doing, you know, because he was uptight with that music, man. Well, he did that, what, was it Rocket 88? Or was, or was, yeah, Jack of Branson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was on that, and then some people think that's the first rock and roll song. Well, I heard that, I heard yeah. that too, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. and I think Ike played piano on it or something. I don't know what he played, yeah. but he was good at it, man, because he was in love with the guitar, and one of the greatest slide guitar players that we all ever heard was Earl Hooker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah. And and uh, he made some thing with Muddy because yeah. you know Muddy was a slide. Yeah, yeah. Because me and Bees talked the same thing. I tried it, but you a slide guitar, you got to be so precisive. You know, you can't just jump around on the stage like right. I like to do. Right. Yeah, and move the guitar in different positions. You know, you, yeah. you that slide, you got to let Stand it be still. What, you got to be Elmo James and all those people like it's that. It's an open tuning too. I open, think. Well, I don't know. Well. Uh, Back back then, but you know, Derek Trucks and those mm. and Earl Hooker and yeah. what no open tuning. They play straight, yeah. Oh yeah, four forty. I've talked to Derek; he's something else, man. Oh man, yeah. If you hear him play that slide, I'm like saying, you, "That's not a slide. You playing as your fingers, but it, it's a slide." Yeah, he's doing both. <laughs> it almost sounds <laughs> no. like Indian music. Oh man, you know when I first heard that kid, I said, "Man, what did you do?" You know, <laughs> just born yeah. with it. Yeah, and do you know he still asks me what was it like playing with Earl Hooker? Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. What do you tell them? I don't know, because Hooker was so crazy, man. You know, a lot of the musicians, we just call them crazy, because it looked like they was like, I don't care what I do. The first thing Hooker did to me when I when I first got to Chicago and got to know him was stole that 100-foot card from me, because he figured it was something in the card that made me <laughs> as crazy as I was. And he was living with his mom. Yeah. So I knew I went to work that morning to play on a blue Monday morning. I couldn't find my card. Yeah. And I just went straight to his house, and his mom answered the door. He's asleep. I just busted the door. I said, I'm glad I just want my wire back. <laughs> and he started like John Lee Hooker a little bit. And I walked in the room. He said, I, I, I just want to see what you had in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, okay, so you get over to Chess, and you got those guys, Leonard and Phil. What were they like? Uh, they didn't think I had what, what uh, just before he died. I don't know if you read that or not, but he called me in after the British guy started exploring. Who, who Phil or Leonard? Leonard. Yeah. The British guy started turning those amplifiers up, and he was getting that, that British sound. Yeah. That's when he sent Willie Dixon to my house to go get Buddy. And bring him down here. So I said, oh, my God, I ain't going to be able to make these little sessions with Muddy and Sonny Boy no more because they was calling me in. You thought you were going to get fired or what? Well, it, uh, I was going to, uh, they wasn't going to use me anymore uh-huh. uh, uh, for some reason. Right. That wasn't just me. Yeah. And when I got there, he had on a suit, and he, I had never been to his office. Uh-huh. And he said, come on in the office. I'm saying, well... Um, to myself, you can tell me now. They yeah. don't come back down here no more. <laughs> right. And I think it was, uh, might have been a Cream record he put on for us. Yeah. And he said, listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like saying, what's this? Then he bent over and said, I want you to kick me. <laughs> yeah. Did you? And no, I felt <laughs> like I should. <laughs> and he said, uh, because you've been trying to give us this ever since you come here, and we were too dumb to listen. He said, "This is how you were you you were ahead yep. of the game, and they yep. just stuck you with sessions." Yeah, and then he told me, he "said Now you can come in here and do whatever you want." Wow! And he didn't live too long after that. I think it was less than a year he passed away. Well, that's kind of interesting that like it took that full circle stuff. 
you yeah. know, because like you know, a lot of people say the British guys are the ones that introduced <clears throat> the music to the world in a big way. Yeah, right. And and, and the thing was is that you were opening that guitar up before them. Well, they didn't, and, they didn't like that. That's oh, yeah. what Little kept saying. Ain't nobody ready for that wide open noise and yeah. that feedback. Yeah. And it wasn't a lot of feedback. I just wanted that ring yeah. that uh, the British finally went beyond me with it. Well, right. They were playing the same licks. They were playing your licks and, and Freddie King's licks. Right, right. And, and uh, you know, because it seemed like at the beginning, you know, Clapton was all Freddie and you, a lot of it, right? And yeah. And he just cranked that Marshall up. Cranked. Yeah, I, apparently on that first Blues Breakers record, the guy didn't even know how to record him because he refused to turn it down. Right. And that was the sound. Well, you know, uh, Hendrix had and saw me too, and he was in New York, and yeah. it was booing him, but he was coming up with the special effects. Yeah. And when he got to London, they said, bring it home. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, everybody was saying, wait a minute, nobody want to hear that. You know, this smooth stuff, that muddy right. lightning and all of them is playing is yeah. doing very well, so right. how could you do better than that? But when the British struck it, they said, oh, my God, it, it is something better than that. Yeah. What's it's not better than that, but it's it's, it's like the next, tech, next step. Well, it's it's like technology taking us now. Well, you know? yeah, but yeah. also like doesn't it like you know because I've been uh, watching some uh, reading about jazz and listening to jazz that there was a point where you know where you had to straight up jazz and then those guys went out into space and then right. changed the whole thing. Oh so, yes, oh yes. Right, so you know you're going to do that with the guitar too. You yeah. got to go to space. Well, you can just do the same old thing. Well, every time I wake up and turn my radio on, I'm, look, I'm looking for something to say, oh, yeah, yeah, something new, you know. But, yeah. But technology has got a lot to do with music right now. And I tell people right now, some of the superstars I will not call names, when you see them doing those big shows on television, it's lip singing. I oh, can't sure. even follow myself on the lip singer, man. No I tried that. Yeah. Because we had disc jockeys before the chess people died. Yeah. I used to call you in. We'd get a new record out. Four to five, and they would call you out, and they would be spinning the record, and yeah. they would have the mic on like this, and you could, you it wasn't on. You yeah. was pretending you right. were singing, but sometimes they would like to click it on to really hear. I said, "Man, don't turn that on because I can't even follow my own self." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I imagine, like when you're doing all those sessions, like Little Walter was kind of a crazy guy too, right? Not just Walter; all of them was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even get into that with yeah. a man. You know, choirs that kept. If I was talking to B.B. King like I'm talking to you yeah. now, that music would have been gone 20 minutes ago because right. all the conversation you had with Muddy, Walter Jr., B.B., it always ended up the conversation is something about a woman. Yeah. Yeah. They right. wouldn't, you start talking about, B.B., what about uh, uh, yeah. uh, Let Me Love You or whatever number I wanted to talk about. Right. It was always eased back into that woman, buddy. You remember that woman, this woman? Did. I said, man, I don't want to hear nothing about no woman. I want to hear something about your career and your playing so I can learn something. Yeah. I can't learn nothing you tell me about a woman. <laughs> but you got to watch it. You, when you were playing with them, you got to watch all those. You got to watch Muddy, right? And you. Well, I would used to try to steal in after yeah. they found out I could play, and they would never let that happen. If yeah. they saw me, it's just like, come on to the stage. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't read music. I'm watching your fingers trying to steal a lick from you. Right. With BB or whoever. Right. You know, and they would never let me do that. They would. Who, no. would, who wouldn't? The BB or any? Uh, BB or any of them. You know, BB would do his show, but if he would look at me, because and, and, uh, I used to would, would try to hire. Yeah. Because <laughs> I just wanted watch. to hear him. 
And if he spotted me and said, don't you go nowhere, come on up here, I want you to play. And I several times he took the guitar off and gave it to me. Yeah. Yeah. Because he didn't want you to steal? No, no, he just wanted me to, you know, that's the guy play your he own was, thing. man. It was all good, so good. It was like a adopted parent. Yeah. You know, and they were like saying, you can play if somebody don't know you can play, I'm going to let them know you can play right now. Yeah, right. And that helped me a lot. It was like that story about uh, Clapton having Hendrix on. In, yeah, in I did it. And that was the end of it. That was right. <laughs> what about Hubert Sumlin? He was good. Right? Yeah. They. Uh, I heard this record yesterday morning, too. Uh, I should have quit you and went to Mexico. They had been in the studio three days. And Leonard heard this rhythm, and they couldn't get it. And he said, call Buddy. Yeah. And I got up about 7 o'clock that morning because that's when they was making the old Leonard's and Mudders and them sessions was like 6, 7, 5 in the morning. Yeah. Because they wanted them to come straight from the the bar. Yeah. Oh, while they were still ha- hot. What, well, yeah. while they were still half drunk. Because yeah. uh-huh. half of the time when you got there, they had the two bottles of whiskey sitting on the keyboard. Wasn't on electric keyboards then. It was the big piano, yeah. you know. And they had the whiskey sitting there. I want you to sound just like you did when you left the club <laughs> last night. So when they called me, Willie Dixon came and got me, and they said, Leonard wants you to see, can you hear this rhythm he wants? And I said, I walked in there, and within two cuts, he said, now that's what you got. How come y'all can't do that? And everybody was profane then, you know. Yeah. Uh, Everybody was an MF. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. When I I went in there, I used to be sitting quiet trying to learn, but I still was doing what they asked me, and they said, hey, MF. Yeah. Turn your guitar up a little bit. I don't hear enough of you. And I'm like, I don't know who you're talking to, so I wouldn't look up. They would come out of the engineer room and punch me on my shoulder and say, I'm talking to you, MF. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> Six weeks when I was there, when they said, hey, MF, I said, what? Yeah. <laughs> and what was the groove they were looking for? Was it a Hubert groove? No, it was something that uh, Leonard could hum it to you, and I could hear what he was doing. It was like, boom, 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 boom. Like, kill, soon, like uh, killing for, yeah, like, yeah, that riff, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. As, soon as, as soon as I heard, I said, "Yeah, this goes. That's I let the tape roll." And, yeah. So you start recording on chess, and then you know how does Delmark come into it? You started. You were doing both. You were recording with Junior on Delmark, and no, then your own stuff on chess. No, well, you know they were so slick then they didn't want you to, to record right. for nobody else. And if you notice that album, what you talking about? Who don't do have Blues? my name. Right, on it. I know. It's called, you, it's called Friendly Chap. Oh, oh really? Yeah, so that was me, what yeah. they call a friendly chap. That's the that that shit. Leonard know that 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 was me playing on that. It was trying. You were trying to hide it from Leonard. No, you had to hide it from them because they could they had a little contract on you. You know, and that if they said you can't play for nobody but us, which they had all the rights. It's like baseball contracts. They didn't change it now. They can get rid of you, but you can't get rid of them. Of course, yeah. yeah. And that 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 album's all you. It's all you and Junior. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Early in the morning, I, I didn't know that Delmont Records. It was a record shop, and he just decided to catch us that morning and and have me and Junior record something. That's Bob Coaster. Bob Caster. Coster. Somebody yeah. just told me he just sold it though. He don't he don't want it no more because my somebody's chasing my son now. The one I told you about didn't know who I was until yeah. he was 21, and they're trying to get him to cut something with it. Yeah, it was on. I guess yeah. I think they sold it recently, but back in the day, it was like on Grand Avenue or something. So uh, I forget why it yeah. was, but I think he moved once or twice yeah. since since that 
since that Hoodoo Man album. Well, you know what's yeah. interesting about that that record? is so clean, you know? I mean, it's just so clean. Well, you know, it was just the straight things then, and you didn't have all the tech you got now. It was real to real. We used to make a record, and if they heard a beat in there yeah. that they didn't like or like, they would have to take a razor blade right. and cut that little piece out of the tape. Now they punch a button and they cut it out. Oh, there. yeah. They can add it somewhere else. Uh-huh. And, it. Yeah. and because, you know, during the session back in those days, you would take a break and they'd be playing something and see do they need to play it again. You yeah. could tell us yourself. Sometime I'd be in the studio now and I could use the bathroom and come back and say, all right, we're ready to go again. Who's that? Oh, that's you. That's you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you, that's what you just did, you know. That's just how much technology then got into Bob into music and whatever else you do now with well, tech. You, well, you kind of mix it up, you know, because like on that record and on on the, some of the earlier chess records, the sound was like you know straight strat sound. It, yeah, it was real clean, yeah. and you can't hardly get that no more. Yeah, uh, it, right. very few people play like that. I, Robert Cray played like that, right? Yeah, right. It, there's right. something about that. You know, that in-between position that I pops know, a little that bit, I know, right? I know, yeah. I know. And that's what those British guys were giving me credit for, because without them, I don't know if I'd be talking to you now, because I was like a unknown. I was there, but I was unknown, and all of a sudden they start saying, we got to find out who Buddy Guy is. You know, because you used to bend those notes out there. Oh, yeah. And, and you oh, know, yeah. it ride the edge, and they're like, what's that sound? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. When yeah. did you start, though, when did you start real? You know, using the... Uh, effects or a wah pedal or I don't you know, crank it up. That. I don't hardly use that now. You no. know, the only time I use it when I want to let the people know about the late Jimi Hendrix or, or somebody like that. Right. I just try to do each night on my show. Yeah. I just don't I just don't go in the dark. I just let people know who John Lee Hooker was, who I hit a matter of fact I go to the stage uh nightful last. And I would ask the audience, there was a lot of people up there in California, and I said, I don't have to be right, but I want y'all to know, and y'all give me some names, who you think was the best guitar player. And then I'm going to give you my opinion, and I don't have to be right. And they started calling you. I said, no, I'm talking about before me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, 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 How about uh, Stevie Ray? I'm talking about before Stevie Ray. How about, uh, and they just name and name and all. I said, now hold it, let me give you my opinion. And I hit a note by B.B. King. And Boom. Boom. Yeah. And yeah, and John Lee, like that guy, like he had his whole own groove. Oh, yeah. You had, and, like, I listened to that. There's a weird record, that Hooker and Heat record with Can Heat. Yeah. And they're all trying to follow it. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, 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 well, well, you know, he... <laughs> I'm glad you asked that, because, you know, we was the best of friends oh, man, yeah. before he died. <laughs> And day one when I met him, do you know I never didn't meet him yet. The first time I met that guy, him and Big Mama Thorne was in Germany. Yeah. And Oh, doing that weird show that they put on TV? I think it yeah. might have been that, but I didn't know who he was. He didn't know who I was, so they were, everybody was still drinking heavy then. Yeah. So my thing was I came downstairs a little earlier than what me and you talking now, and I said, I just got to meet John Lee Hooker because that's the first thing I taught myself how to play was Booger Chillin'. Yeah. So I walked down to this big table in the morning. It was like a big dinner table. It was eating breakfast. Mm-hmm. And everybody was just talking. And Big Mama was a big wise. You know, she had to flow. And I'm yeah. like saying, I just went over in the corner and picked up acoustic guitar like that and started yeah. playing Booger Chillin'. Yeah. And a guy came over to me and said, who's you? 
And I'm like saying, I don't want to be bothered with you. You can't talk. So I'm trying to get John Lee's attention. (laughs) (laughs) And he kept messing with me so much. I said, said, my my name is Buddy. I'm just on the show. I'm trying to meet John Lee Hooker. And he just fell out on his knees and tears started coming out of his eyes. And he didn't say he was John Lee. He said, I'm Johnny. I said, I don't want to meet Johnny. I said, I want to meet John Lee Hooker. And until his death, he 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 laughed about that. <laughs> that yeah, he didn't even he, know it was him. No, no, because I didn't know you could sing like that and don't stutter as you sing it. And yeah. I used to, and after I got to know him as a good friend, when he was trying to tell me something like we talking now, I said, yeah. "Man, don't tell me, sing it." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did he? Would he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he would outlaugh me because some people would get offended by that. Right. He never did. Yeah. No. Yeah. There's some like he's one of those guys where it's like he he invented something. Oh well, and then he used to show me his hand. A guy was on. A guy was. What was he? Standing at the hotel, and I don't know how in the world he saw these calluses on my hand. And he was the elder guy, and this was yesterday. And he says. How long have you been playing guitar? And I looked around at him, you know, I'm like saying, now who are you asking me this question? So my manager was there, you know, and I, and the point I'm trying to get to, John Lee, he'll cut his nail no callus. And he right. looked at me once and said, to feel my hand is softer than a woman. Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, how do you play the guitar? Because he just slapped his guitar and just played that book of children, man. You ain't never heard him squeezing no strings or nothing like that. And he would joke, man. And I can tell you another joke on We was playing in Canada at a blues festival. And it was on the island. And it was light raining. Mm. So I, he hadn't played before me, and I'm finna catch the ferry and go out there. So I met him. I said, I'm glad I met you, man. I said, I, now you can tell me what I do. If I play boogie or just play some slow blues or whatever, whatever they're playing out there, let me know what to do. And he looked at me and said, I don't, I don't know. I just hit my guitar and said, no, 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 give me my money. <laughs> 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 oh man, I miss that. You know, I, yeah. I really do, man. You know, yeah. they, they don't make them like that no more. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there will never be a BB Muddy Wolf Walter and John Lee now. They could make you forget about it if the promoter didn't pay you. They could make you feel like you got paid because mm. you had to laugh at them whatever yeah. they were doing. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And oh. also, just the the idea. I don't know what it was really, but. It seems like a, a lot of players now, and just in general, that that they don't they they can't get to themselves. You, you know what I mean? They get to somebody else. You yeah. know, and the, the style is the style. But you, you know, it seems like you guys and the generation before you, they couldn't help but be themselves. Right. Right. And well, I, it, I don't know what that is, but it's. I don't great. know. I tried to figure it out. Me and BB and all of them used to talk when it was in their good health. We just yeah. never could figure out what that is. But yeah. you know. Um, I used to look at them, and I thought when I, when I went into Chicago, I'm like saying, "All I want to see these beautiful homes or beautiful cars or whatever they yeah. got." And I I remember very well one Monday morning there was a high medical player named Shaky Harden, James Cotton, Junior Wells, and I forget who else. A couple more high medical players, and I looked, and there was little Walter in the corner, and I looked, and I said, "Let me start some crap here." I yeah. said, "I said, hey man, they." Want to know why you here? Cause you 
they're going to blow you out of here today. Yeah. And, and guess what he said to what? me? He said, hey, man, go buy me a half pint of gin. Let me separate the men from the boys. <laughs> now, this is little Walter. Yeah. And I said, me buy you a half a pint of gin? And a half a pint of gin back then in 1950 was 98 cents. Yeah. <laughs> and I had about two bucks. I said, you can have both of them. Yeah. And I went to the stage and cranked up. And they was coming up one by one. And when little Walter came up, he started playing something. And I looked at Junior Wells. I said, man, did you hear that? He said, yeah. I said, what did he do? He said, well, you know he plays this harmonica bottom side up. So I said, oh, y'all should turn him bottom side up. <laughs> he played it the other, the other way? Yeah, yeah. He didn't play it straight like, like the rest of the guys. And it seemed did. like he was playing almost like, yeah, it, it sounds like you know, he took a lot from the sax players. Like he I don't know what he did, but yeah. he had that tone, man, oh, because man. Yeah, I told yeah. my son uh, a week ago, I said, just listen at him close, closely because there's something about what he was doing, and he never did how to show the harmonica. Right. Most of the harmonica players, Junior would turn it loose. Sonny yeah. Boy, Sonny Boy used to turn it loose and put it in his mouth like this and don't hold it. Right, right. I yeah, even yeah. seen him take it and put it on his, on his, uh, what do you call it, a goose pipe right here? Yeah. And and you could hear it. Sonny Boy? Sonny Boy. Well, he, he is a showman too, uh -huh. right? He, and like, he could put that harmonica back in his mouth just like a cigar. Yeah. And blow and blow like this microphone yeah. and, 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 and hit the notes right with it. And I'm like saying, man. Yeah. But that Walter had something. He would hide that harmonica in both hands. And play and, right up on the mic, too. Right. Like, yeah. And every once in a while, he would open that hand. Mm -hmm. And it was something when he opened that hand, you heard that you didn't when he closed it. Yeah. And I used to tell harmonica players, I said, watch that, man. That's the tone. Well, that's what I saw B.B. and I said to myself, B.B. had a rhythm and that left hand, yeah. he didn't need a special effect. Right. Because right. he could vibrate that man on that picky finger. He could vibrate that better than I can with him the rest of the fingers I got. Yeah. And I know a thousand guitar players looked at me and said, you right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's it's the it's that unique gift. It's, it's something you have that God gave you that he didn't give nobody. What else. was Wolf's? Uh, uh, it was it was it, it that voice? It's just his voice. Yeah, you know, because first he was just a harmonica player. Then for for the end of his life, he was playing guitar too. Yeah, a lot of people saw that guitar jump out front after Leo and uh, Les Paul and them amplified it. Yeah, a lot of people was was saying, "I need to go to the guitar because the guitar players is going." Yeah, are getting paid a little more than the harmonica players. Oh, or whatever. right. Yeah. Once it once he electrified uh -huh. it, and it, you know, mm -hmm. and then it became mm -hmm. that's the thing people want to see. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. now, when these guys, when the when the new guys started coming around, like we were around then, when uh, Butterfield, Bloomfield, all of them was no, coming up in Chicago. Yeah, I can make you laugh about that. You yeah. know, when they first start <laughs> coming in, coming up in Chicago to play the blues. The blues clubs then was 99.9 .9 black yeah. people playing blues. When you saw a white face come into a blues club, you say, He's a, that's a cop. And we couldn't afford to buy the drink, so we was, we was buying the, 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 the stinking wine and stuff, and you would hide it because you had to bring it in under your coat or something and hide it. And so you would look and see a white face and say, don't pull up that bottle of wine because they're going to take it and pull it out. Yeah. 
So that's a cop sitting over that table. And this yeah. is Michael Bloomfield, uh, uh, Charlie Musselwhite, and all these guys. Eric Clapton and them start coming in, and all of a sudden you get to know them, and now you can tell them what they was doing. I man, you was making me miss drinking my wine. And they, were, they were just cracking up, man. I say, I thought you was a policeman, man. I said, no, man, we come here to listen to the blues. So they were learning, they were watching. Uh-huh, Michael Bloomfield and them, and I used to see him. Every time I saw a white face, if he wasn't a cop with a uniform on, I said, he's a detective. <laughs> he was an interesting player, huh? Oh, man, you know, you know, this, and his dad was a doctor. Oh, really? And, and I found out that his dad didn't really didn't want him to play the, the stuff he was doing because he wanted him to, I guess, kind of follow his footsteps because a doctor yeah. back then, you know, you know, you got a chance to make a decent living as a doctor, not as a musician. Yeah, sure. But his, I guess his dad didn't know sooner or later music would make more than a doctor yeah. if you were lucky enough and good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And Butterfield, he, he, I think he oh, learned man. a lot from Walter, huh? Well, he could play, man. You yeah. know, let's, let's just face it. And yeah. then when he left Chicago and come out to California, I think he got hooked in the well, back in the 60s, all of them was into a, the dope. a, a little draw, oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it killed a lot of them. Uh, you know, I look at it like this. We ain't going to live always. You know, I look at them, and they used to try to introduce me to them for something I just didn't never like it. You know, I ain't never, I ain't never tried the cocaine. Uh, the Grateful Dead made me draw for a reefer in Berkeley, California one yeah. night. Yeah. And we walk, he walked me around behind Who, the Jerry? little blues club. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I drawed off that thing, and he said, now you're going to play some stuff you never heard. And I said, okay. <laughs> and I got in the club, and Eric Clapton was sitting out there. And the next day he called me and said, man, you play some stuff you never heard. I said, you're right. I didn't hear nothing. <laughs> <laughs> How would you get involved with that? I saw you in that movie about that bus, about that Festival Express bus. Well, that the, was the that guys was, from the band and everybody. Was yeah, on. that was the Janice and uh, uh, the Grateful Dead and all that. That was that guy in Canada, almost like Sears Roebuck, yeah, Eden and Walt. Uh huh. They would rent that train in uh, oh, Montreal, it's a train, right? Yeah. And it, it would it would run all the way across the country yeah. too. But we never didn't make it to Vancouver. No. They they they, they, they had them towed the train up and uh, drank all the whiskey and smoked all the dope. Or by the time we got to Winnipeg. And that was it? <laughs> that was it. <laughs> yeah, because it was jumping on top of the train, man. It was, if I had to do it, I'd do it all over again. Well, there's that footage of you with that 100-foot wire. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they had me. That's why, you know, Mick Jagger <laughs> finally got it, because they had me on a tractor there once, and they lift me up in there on the tractor. Yeah, right on the cherry picker thing. Uh-huh. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, that, that's where Mick got it, huh? Well, I seen him on do that, and oh, he, yeah. had, he had a, 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 a safety belt on him with a chain, but yeah. I didn't have nothing on me on that one, you know? You just had the guitar. You were oh, focused. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's when my youngest brother had just come and joined me, man. And he didn't live, you know, he, like I say, he lived uh, on, the, on the 20th this month. He's been gone 11 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, I noticed that what we, it, it's interesting because, you know, you talk about, you know, getting the respect that you deserve. It seems like it, it, it took a while. But, like, there was a, a period there. Where, did you not make records for a, a decade? Well, like I, 80 to 90? Was, it was somewhere in there that I went to a guy come from England with a record company called GS, JSP. Yeah. And the late Willie Dixon was living, and I didn't want to get— I had learned my lesson from how the record company was ripping off all the— not yeah. just blues, the jazz, and everybody else. Because none of the—you know, none of those guys had as much education as I got. And I don't have a high school education, but I sit back— 
and tried to learn for, from what I seen was happening to them. Yeah. And I stayed blank there until uh, I think it was JSP I did one. Then Vanguard came and got me. Yeah. In the 60s, that's when the things come right after Delmont Records. Yeah. And I stayed with Vanguard. It must have been about, was it one or two albums? Yeah. Because one of them was live in Berkeley. I, I did that. And uh, and I forget the other one. Then they had a, they made me and Junior do one with a jazz piano player named Junior Mance. Yeah. Uh-huh. And all that went on and went on. And finally, uh, what was that, in uh, 19... Must have been '89. Eric yeah. Clapton had invited me to the Royal Albert Hall, and that's when a guy come up to me in Royal Albert Hall and said, "I want to sign you." And he was British, and I didn't know the record company was in America because all the Americans used to. How old is Buddy Guy? Ninety-nine yeah. years old, and they would say, "I don't give up on him." Yeah. And the first thing I did was went to England and made, and I wrote the damn right. I got the blues, and that's when they come back and find out the label was here. Yeah. In New York, and they say, I said, well, man, I thought it was a British label, no, but it's a British guy yeah. who signed me. Because the British would listen to us more than Americans would, so far right. as what we had to offer. Right, and then, I, like, I couldn't even find that record, the one that's uh, DJ Play My Blues. Yeah. Yeah, was that like sort of like, that was a... Was I that, think that's, a, that, that's a, I think that, is that, I'm not sure on that, but I think that might have been the JSP. I might yeah. have did that, because that's when he came in. And he was a ripoff too, because yeah. I'm trying to. I, we got a turn in New York now. I'm trying to chase him down. I went to his house 30 years ago in London. Yeah. And he said, "I owe you some money, but I ain't checked my books yet." And the record was 20 years old. Then I say, "When do you check your books?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it just seemed like there was a lot of time between them. And then, damn right, I got the blues. That's the one that blew up. Blew up. That's that what took me to my first Grammy. And that was like, you know, how old are you at that point? Oh, that was 19, I think that was 1989 or something like that. That was that guy, John Porter? John Porter. Because you did a few records with him. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's a, and I don't know how much anything influences it, because I was looking at his credits, you know, he was you know kind of a new wave kind of, you know. Right. Uh, yeah, and, and then... It, it, you get a couple of guys like that that you work with that that shows a I don't know how the relationship works but but it does change the sound doesn't it when you have a producer do you, how closely do you work with those guys you just let them do it well you let you, you you know like I said earlier I like to listen yeah and I like to listen to you or whoever else can come in and may give me an idea and it's it's like if you know you drank too much, but you need somebody else to tell you, you don't yeah. need nobody else to tell you. You already know that. But when they tell you, you say, oh, yeah, you're right. You know? <laughs> you're right so that's, yeah. what I, that's what I was looking at with that. So that's how it works, huh? Uh-huh. Because you did a few albums with him, and then, you know, the, and then I guess, like, it must have changed your whole business, the touring, everything, the Grammy, record sales. Well, you know, the, the, the Grammys and the record sales helps anybody if you can do it, you know. And right now, today, like I said, I talked to B.B. early, all muddy and them before they passed away. Blues, and I heard George Benson doing a kind of kind of hardcore blues yeah. lately, and I'm like saying blues must be ain't, ain't quite dead yet, because you used to you know it used to be so good listening when you would just turn on an AM station for all the big FM stations that came in, you could hear Mahalia Jackson, yeah, you could hear uh, uh, Lightning Hopkins, and then you could hear Lou Rawls, I mean they played everything. Mm-hmm. 
And now you turn on a radio station uh, and disc jockeys. I was telling my manager coming in here yesterday, this, some of the disc jockeys used to talk for you. Yeah. Just like if B.B. King would hit a good note and you'd hear the disc jockey cut right and say, come on, B.B. <laughs> and this used to get me, you know, and it was a good it was a good feeling for them to say that. Look out, B.B. Yeah. You know, look out, Howlin' Wolf, you know. Look out, Big Joe Turner, you know. And those little things like that was getting next to me, and that would make me jump and say, "Whatever they did, they made the, they made the disc jockey recognize it." Yeah, and that's the good that's the good stuff. Don't happen on that highway anymore. No, and yeah. I think also the blues was like one of those things where there was a certain point it seemed where everybody just tried to play it, like right. you know, you know, every bar band, everybody in the world yeah. thought they could do it. But and then I think sometimes it's good that the music's getting out there, but but then the public gets a sense that well, that's just a blues and anybody can play it, and then they yeah. forget about the guys that really right. play it, right? Because they always stand out. Oh yeah, you know. But right. like I can pick up that guitar and play some blues, but you know who cares? Well, yeah, I mean, I like yeah. it, but you know, but the dudes that really you know that that stand out, that stand out. Yeah, it's almost like my mom used to tell me, you know, a ladder. It's easy to climb. But she said, if you let one foot slip, your butt is easy to hit the ground. Yeah. You know, and that's the way blues is, man. <laughs> it don't, you know, you luck as the devil in the world if you can hit a record. And, and this was happening back then in, in the late 50s and 60s. You could get one, I remember some blues players had one hit record and it just bloomed, never had another one. Right. And and I don't know how that worked, but it, uh, I'm like saying they had a guy called High Heel Sneakers, Tommy Tucker. Leonard Chestnut was going crazy, and I think he made one or two more, but it never did get big as that Tom, that that first one, High Heel Sneakers. Well, that's the weird thing about hits; sometimes they'll kill you. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And a lot of I guess it seems like, like like what you were saying before is that Chess and those guys at the time. It took them a minute to come around to real blues, and they they were trying to do soul, right? And they were trying to do well, R and B music. And well, they they had the jazz too. You yeah. know, they, uh, uh, when they got going, they had the Gene Ammons and uh, uh, all the big jazz guys there, man. But they never did let you step in the way of Muddy and Wolf and Walter, because that's who opened them up. Yeah, and they was taking on because they was like, it was so bad once that you could go there and open a little label. And Leonard if it Chicago. take off, if it took off, Leonard Chess would come in and say, "I'll buy that." Yeah, and he and he'd offer you a little money and buy the whole little label from you, and he would take it over just to get the artists. Well, at first he had to turn you down, but yeah. he didn't know you could do that. I remember a guy named Bobby Saxon made a record called uh, "I'm Trying to Make a Living," and uh, another black guy would come down on Forty Seventh Street and just say, "This is my record company," and put that out on. You could just let one radio station or two radio stations play, and if it took off, Leonard found that out. He was coming find you, man. I want that record, man. You know, I, I'd oh, buy really? it. Oh yeah, but yeah. he but he didn't have mob connections or nothing, did he? I don't know about the mob connection because because someone told me even the Cobra record had some connection with yeah. that, but I never did get that deep to find out whether it was or not. But I do know that Duke Records out of Houston. Chess and all of them had some connection. Like, at, like if I screwed up with chess, they called it a black ball. So Duke right. didn't want me. Uh, uh, uh. Of course, back then, RCA and those labels like I'm with now, they didn't think about no blues. Right. Because you know? I'm with RCA now, and that was a hand me down. I bought this label. 
but because this label was the one who signed me, uh, signed me in '89 with after Eric Clapton's show. Yeah. And then uh, I think they might have went out of business. And uh, next thing I know, say, you know, you with RCA? I said, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, because they bought it. Oh, what yeah. was that show that Eric did? Like twenty three guitar? It was a big uh, guitar show. No, it was the uh, the Royal Albert Hall. He did it for I don't know if it was every year, but every every year it was a big thing. He was because he was I think he might have been the only blues guy was going and was selling that thing out. You, you look at him as the guy that turned it around for you a little bit. Yeah, cause yeah. he brought me. He brought me in there, and when he brought me in, that's when I got signed by the bigger label. It's amazing the the lack of respect sometimes. Cause I read years ago, I think I read a, a muddy biography that said that uh, Chess had him painting the place sometimes early on. I didn't ever see that. Yeah, cause I, before, you know, I, yeah. I was in Chess studio doing a record called My Time After Why, and the Stones come in there to do an audition, and they line up in the wall with my. Mine was this size, why they would lock me up to sing, but I could look out the window and see the rest of the band. Yeah. And I look, and these guys, was, they stood them against the wall. Mick Jagger uh, uh, and Keith and, the, and Bill and, and Bill. Charlie. Yeah. And I'm finna get angry. Yeah. And all of a sudden they say, that's a Rolling Stone, which wasn't nothing to think about then, just a Rolling Stone. So yeah. Muddy Waters that helped them brought the instruments upstairs so yeah. they could do the little audition for chess. Now, that's the most, because I, I think they got some uh, clips of paper on, on that now. Yeah. Uh-huh, in Chicago. I had it, but, it, you know, when I get something like that, if some people get a chance, I'll never see it again, because they'll take that. <laughs> that was the first time the Stones came to Chicago uh-huh. and they were watching everybody? Uh-huh, yeah. Did you meet Hendrix? Yeah. Yeah? Do you know the first night I met him, I was in New York, and I was... Had that wide, long wide. I was putting on this show, man, and I had the guitar, I think, behind my back. Yeah. And somebody was coming, and we got a clip on that, too, yeah. at my club. I think they still got it, and the reel, the reel tape. Oh, really? And he was coming, plugging this tape up, reeling the reel, and all I heard was, that's Jimi Hendrix, that's Jimi Hendrix. But I said, so what? Who is Jimi Hendrix, you yeah. know? <laughs> and he laughed about it before he passed. He said, man... I've been trying to want to see you all my life. I canceled a gig to make sure I catch you tonight. He had a gig that night, and he canceled it so he could come see me play in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Nice guy. Yeah, he was in, all of them was into their thing then. Yeah. You know, we never did, like I told you earlier about Mud and BB and about the women, we never did talk about nothing, but it was the music. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then half of the time, he was he was feeling pretty good. So yeah. we didn't ever have one of those conversations about Jim and and then I know his dad very well, and you know his sister still do the Hendrix Experience shows, yeah. and we got uh, two of them to do later on this year. And all these guys seem to come and uh, pay their respect now. I mean, you play with you know Derek and Keith and you know, Eric oh, and yeah. Be- uh, Jeff Beck a lot. Oh yeah, and uh, Billy Gibbons on a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And wh- what do you think of Gary Clark? I've talked to him. Oh, he's a good guy, man. You know, yeah, nice I, guy. oh yeah, man. Yeah, you know, I, I what was that about? Five or six years ago, I was playing a concert in New York, and he was sitting there. I said, well, man, come on up here and play, you know. <laughs> I know, I don't know if you heard it, when Quinn Sullivan, I found him, he was seven years old, man, and he was playing them Henry's licks like that at seven. Wow. You got to check him out. Quinn Sullivan. Uh-huh. He's great. Just check him out, and if, if if you can pull him up, he was seven. Yeah. And I, I'll call the kid up a little, you know, if the little girl boy, and sometimes he'll hit one or two notes, and I'll say, thank you. When he came up, I couldn't get rid of him, man, because he was playing like Hendrix. He was playing BB. He was playing me. He was playing everybody. Like what is that? 
I don't know. This is this is something you can't teach. No, I know. But at there's a few of them years. around. Derek's that way too. They're just yeah. these prodigies. Oh yeah. They? Yeah. You can't teach that what they got. You know, you can learn, but when you catch them that young already playing like that, that's not that's just uh, that's just some God gifted talent. So yeah, it's like magic. Oh, and, yeah. and you play with Kim Wilson too on the harp. Oh, a lot of time. You know, when I first started going to Texas, I just back to the old conversation when I'm from Louisiana. We used to could pick up some of the radio stations coming out of Texas and yeah. all country and western. Eddie Arnold and people like that. Yeah. The horseback western movies with the acoustic guitar. Yep. And uh, when I first went down in Austin, Texas, and I'm like saying, now who is this? Including Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yep. And I'm playing the blues, and a guy on the club, uh, Tiffany Anton, passed away as a white guy, and he was just sitting there smiling because he knew I, I'm like, what? Blues being white by playing by a white man in Texas? Yeah. What is this? And B, you got to hear B.B. King sing about Johnny Williams. He say, he, he was down there, he called Johnny up. He said, no, this is not a white guy playing like this. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the blues, you know. Yeah, and Jimmy's good, too, Jimmy Vaughn. Oh, Jimmy's on the show with me tomorrow. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah. I've talked yeah. to Jimmy. He's great. Oh, man, yeah. Him and his little family, man. You know, his wife, he got two uh, daughters, teenagers now. And I think I introduced him to his wife he got now. Oh, wow. Oh, you, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, man, It's uh, it's been great talking to you. It's well, thank a, you so much for having me. A real honor. And, you know, and, uh, and uh, are you back in the studio soon, or what are you going to do? Well, I think they got me coming in November, and, you know, I'm always surprised when the record comes like RCA said, can we get him back in there? I say, yo, I must have broke even. Uh, <laughs> the blues record must have made y'all feel like I, you didn't lose nothing on me because I'll be looking for that red pink slip every time. I finished the album and it's time for another one. I'm waiting to say, well, he's not doing well, so we can't record you no more. But they don't actually they they don't ask for it. I think like three or four, five months ago. When when can we get him back in the studio? So we planned it. I think sometime in November. Who's your favorite guy other than your own songs? Who whose songs you like playing the best? Because you play a lot of people's songs. I like Muddy. Yeah. You know, I, I you know I like Muddy and BB. That, yeah. that, that's not a night pass. I won't hit that lake, and that's not uh, very few nights. I won't just say here's a a Jimi Hendrix, and then I will get up there and say now I got to thank the British because here's what they were playing and brought it back to you because you didn't know who Muddy Waters was until the Rolling Stones came here on a television show called Shindig. Yeah. And they was trying to get the Stones to do it. And Mick Jagger said, I'll do it if you let me bring Muddy Waters. And White America said, who in the hell is that? Yeah. And he said, you mean to tell me you don't know who uh, uh, Muddy Waters is? And we named ourselves after his famous record, Rolling Stone. Yeah. And people, some people like sitting, what? You know, and it's true. Yeah. Because that's what they named themselves out that's of Muddy's right. Rolling Stone. Yeah. Well, now I want to come. Do you, are there tickets? Oh, we'll get you one. Talk to the manager when 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 we get out here. I'm excited. All right, yeah. buddy. Thanks. You man. got it. Buddy Guy. Love it. Love the stories. Really great to talk to him. Currently on tour around the country. You can get all his tour dates at buddyguy.net. The most recent album is The Blues is Alive and Well, but go back and listen to some of that chess stuff. Listen to some of his early stuff. Now I'm going to play my Stratocaster. Through an echo box.
Boomer lives.